good morning and welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And can we welcome our Appleton campus, our online campus, our Germantown campus? I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I hope you had uh, plenty to eat. I hope nobody went hungry. If you did, come see me. I'll make sure you get taken care of. Anyone? Anyone? And uh, hopefully if you were deer hunting this past week, you were safe. It was all good. It was crazy. I was, had went up, up north uh, on uh, Friday and was driving back. And right along uh, 41, I see between Fond du Lac and, uh, and, and, and here, I see just deer hunters in these cornfields out of my periphery. And because, uh, you know, they have the blaze orange jackets on. And I'm just going, please do not turn that gun this direction. I know they're, they know better then, but, you know, every once in a while that buck fever hits. And all of a sudden you're just following along and boom. And yeah, so anyhow, uh, so luckily there was no problems. I was raised in Arkansas. So, you know, my dad calls me the other day and says, yep, I was drinking coffee on the front porch. And they live on this acreage. It would feel a lot, the topography is a lot like Richfield, right? So there's what we call uh, hollers. You would call them hills and gullies. Uh, we call them hollers. He says, well, coming out of that holler, boy, there was a 10-point buck. Just sat there, snorted, looked at me. I just raised my coffee cup to him and went on. And I said, Dad, where is the gun? He goes, I don't want to clean that stuff. He said, no, 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 no. So anyhow, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you deer hunters are happy. And uh, I hope you uh, got your, your, your fever out there and got what you were, were looking for. For the rest of us, I hope that you uh, shopped. You know, yes, no Black Friday? Yes, yeah, we got a few Black Friday shoppers here. I avoid that like the plague, man. Like, I don't even, like, County Line Road in Germantown, Menominee Falls, won't even drive down it for about 48 hours because there's just, people are crazy. You watch the, like, what do you have to do for a television to get $50 off or whatever? It's nuts. Like, you're going to lose an eye or an arm or break a leg or something. <laughs> So anyhow, nuts, crazy. So anyhow, um, and for us, it's been great. We, we had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, I, uh, we just stayed here, which was awesome. And so just relaxed and had a good time. I ate. This is my favorite time of the year because I began eating on Thanksgiving, actually a few days before, to expand the stomach so that I can take in more. <laughs> and then I don't stop until the National Football Championship that first week of, of January. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's awesome. So I'm all spanked up today. I'm like a can of biscuits when I get done here. It's just going to all pop out. So some of you don't know what spanks is. You can, you can tweet, you can not tweet that, but you can, you, you can Google that. So today I want to talk to you though about something during this time of the year that I think we talk a lot about, but I don't think we really think and put a lot of energy into. And it's, it's the subject of gratitude. And life happens so fast in our world, and uh, life is going so quickly, and there's so much friction, it feels like, in the world in which we live in. There's a lot of tension uh, in the world. There's, there's a lot that's going on, and we forget this thing called gratitude, to be gratuitous, this grace, in essence. It's, the gra gratuity is to, be, to have gratitude is a state or the quality or the attitude of being thankful. It's the state or the quality or the being, uh, the attitude of being thankful. And what happens is, is that we go so much and we're doing so much and we're spinning so many wheels and so many plates and so much is happening that sometimes we don't just kind of slow our roll and just kind of max and relax and take account all the things that we really are blessed. 
all the many ways that we really are blessed. And we have a tendency as humans to kind of um, compete with one another. It's a natural tendency. I mean, we, the Bible says that when God created Adam, he, he gave him the ability to have dominion over the face of the earth. There's this thing in us as humans of to conquest something, to, 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 to win something. That's the reason why sports uh, are so, so much a part of our world because we're getting to see these players on a field or on a court uh, basically uh, contesting one another to have a winner. And it's the reason why we don't like ties, you know, um, and we, we want someone to win, someone must lose. This is the way we're, we're, we're hardwired. What happens in that is that if we're not careful, we take that into every part of our life to the point that we become calloused with one another. Uh, so, and if you don't believe that, just drive to a shopping mall in the next 30 days. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're at in Appleton or you're at Mayfair or wherever. You, you just drive. People will cut people off. They will... St- then they will push and they will yell. And it's like, this is Christmas. And just watch people. Just sit in a mall and watch people. They will just, it, it's just because what happens is it's this, this competitive, it's this comparative issue too. Because we do this. We look at what we have compared to somebody else. And that becomes to the degree that we have more than someone else is the degree in which we're blessed. I don't know where we came up with that. It's not, it doesn't hold any theological water. The reality is, is that when you look at who you are, even in the context of the rest of the world, we are incredibly blessed. And so we find it easy to forget. I find it easy to forget. I find it easy to overlook. I find it easy sometimes to despise the blessings that I have. And what I mean by despise, I know that sounds a harsh, like a harsh word, but the Bible says don't despise small beginnings. Why does it instruct us in that way? Because we have a tendency to. It's the same reason why Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you're always going to love you, right? I mean, when I, before I walked out, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said to myself, self, you are one handsome, good-looking guy, and there's just more of you to love. Amen. But you all looked at the mirror. Some of you didn't. I saw you come in, but, but most of you looked at the mirror before you came in, and, and, and why? Because you're going to take care of you. You understand? We're all going to do this. And so the Bible says, hey, as much as you're going to take care of you, learn to look at other people. Learn to love your fellow neighbor as yourself. And so we have a tendency, I think, many times, too, when we talk about gratitude, to undervalue today and the moment and overestimate tomorrow. Either it's fear of what's going to happen tomorrow or we put our hopes in tomorrow. And we don't live in the moment. And the Bible says that we should live in this day. We live in day-tight compartments. We live one day at a time. The Bible says don't, don't worry about yesterday because it's already passed. Don't fret or worry about tomorrow because it's yet to come. Live in this moment. And what happens a lot of times when we're talking about gratuity, with this, this state of being thankful and this attitude and quality of being thankful, uh, what we do is, is we have a, a tendency sometimes to have a, a case of the if-I-hads. You ever heard anybody do this? Well, if I had this and if I had that, I I would be happy. If I had the car they had, I'd be happy. If I had the house that they had, I'd be happy. If I had the life that they have, I'd be happy. If I was just married, I'd be happy. If I was just divorced, I'd be happy. Don't don't say amen to that one. If if I were here, because what happens is if my kids were like this or if I had this or if I could only, and, and it's this whole state of I'm never content with where I am. I'm always trying to get someplace else. And I understand that. I'm a type A personality. I need a mountain to climb. I have to have a certain amount of something to accomplish. But at the same time, 
Paul says, even though I may stretch and lean in that direction, I have to learn to be content in all times, in all situations, because that's what we're called to be. That is counterintuitive to our flesh. And so I want to talk about this attitude of gratitude, because I think gratitude, this, this, this mindset, changes everything. And I think in this season, in this time where we just had Thanksgiving, we're being thankful for what we have, I think in the middle of that, all through this wonderful time of the year, it's a great time to ask yourself, how gratuitous are you? Have you lost gratitude in your life? Have you lost perspective in your life? Have you, have you become like, have you despised what you even have? Are you overestimating tomorrow and undervaluing today? Are you overlooking the blessings and the things that God's put in your hands? And so to do this, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Now you can watch it on the screen, and if you're a guest, great. But I encourage you, have a Bible with you and open it up. And the reason why I do this is for two reasons. One is so you can see it for yourself. I understand we may be speaking or reading out of two different translations, but you can see it for yourself. The other thing is, is I write notes on everything. I'm a voracious note taker. And so it's completely fine to write notes in the margin of your Bible to highlight. Why? Because the reality is there are going to be times where God's going to speak something to you. There's going to be a verse that's going to resonate that's going to come out of it. And so for you to highlight it and date it, and maybe even whatever that is right there in the margin, because there'll be times you'll go back to it. There'll be times in the midnight hours where you're leafing through your Bible trying to find answers, and you come back on that, and you go, that was where God met me. That was where God spoke to me. That's where God... And I do that so much that I have to kind of cycle through Bibles. I mean, I have a lot of different Bibles but I, I, because I, I write so much. Because it's, it's, it's like a journal. It, it, it's, that's, that's what the Bible's for. Do you understand? You're not writing on the original uh, parchment in which it was transcribed on. You, you are actually, this is a copy. And so for you to take your copy and to write that and to do that. That's why Gutenberg did what he did in the 1500s with, with the printing press and with the production of, of the Bible. Because it's something that it's for you. It's, it's, it works. And so I encourage you, take it, write read, highlight, underscore, whatever it is, so that those are not just words on a page, but they're words that are lived out in your life. And you can't do that if you're just watching it on a screen. So take your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. We see an account here of Elijah, who's a prophet of God, who's the man of God. His name actually means the Lord is my God. And, uh, and, so, and, and he's dealing with in a time of judgment, what's going on with Israel. Israel basically has been judged by God with a famine. God has withhold rain, withheld rain from them because they have been worshiping this prophet, excuse me, this, this false god, Baal. And Baal was thought to have controlled the water. Uh, and, and, and in that area of the world, in the Middle East, water, it, as with anywhere, is a very prized commodity. And so um, if you had water, uh, there was very little need. Sometimes you became very thoughtless of who God was and very thankless, and you kind of like gratuity in that way. When you lost water, when you didn't have water, when the water sources were not plentiful, when it was not raining and there were no, and the brooks were dried up, you became very much like, we got to get some things right. we got to make sure that things are right so that we have this. What God's done is, because Israel is kind of beginning to serve this false god, Baal, who is supposedly controlling water, God wants to prove to Israel, I'll show you who controls water. You ever had a parent that do that to you? I'll show you who's in charge, right? So, uh, and so the deal is God kind of does this with Israel. And so they've been in a famine 
and a drought for three and a half years. Now, we hear that, and we just kind of go, okay, drought, whatever, da, da, da. But here's what you have to understand. The entire nation's in a drought, and so what happens is it's an economic downturn. It's a recession. Does that make sense? So because everything that they're doing is so agricultural with livestock and, with, and also then with, with, um, with, with uh, uh, farming and everything else, it's all very much in, in that type of a, of, of a life. They're not wanting to be nomadic. They're, they, they, they've gone from that. They're, they're settlers, and, and so they're living in this land with no water. It becomes very, very, very scarce, and life becomes very, very, very difficult. And so you've got this lady who we don't know what her name is. Now, understand this. Any time in Scripture that a name is given, it means something. So go back to the original language. Read what that name meant, means. Like Aaron, so brother of Moses. So that means something. Aaron means enlightened one. Just thought I'd tell you that, enlighten you for your day. He's also the one that really messed the children of Israel up. So we won't go down that path. We'll just stick with enlightened one right now. It means something, okay? When a name is withheld, it's also meaning something. And many times what it's trying to do is get you to not assign this account or this story to a person. But rather, because it's not descriptive, it can be anyone at any place at any time. Now we know her name, she is a widow from Zarephath. That's all we know. That's her only indication of who she is. She has a son and she's on her own. There's no social services in this day and time. There's nobody that's going to take care of her. There's no welfare services. She basically is, is just taking care of herself. So let's put this in the context. There's an economic recession. There's no jobs. Money's scarce. The banks aren't lending. You, you can't buy a house. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You're a single parent, single mom. You've got one child, and you can't even provide for that child. You've done everything you know to do to provide. You've done everything, and your resources are depleted, and you are just ready and willing to die. That's where she is. If you're a single mom today, this message probably will be more apropos to you than anybody else in the room. And if you're a single parent, let me just say this. My hat is off to you. I don't know how you do what you do. I have great respect for you. I don't care how you got there. I don't care if it was your fault or no fault or his fault or her fault. It, I don't even care whose fault it is. I'm just saying the fact that you're having to live this out and do this and you've got children and you've got mouths to feed and you've got, it is difficult. And you're doing it by yourself. It's even more so difficult. That's where this woman is. So let's read this. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, the Bible says, And sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he would call to her and ask, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have something to drink? As she was going to get it, he called and, uh, and, and said, uh, Please bring me a piece of bread. Now, notice, <laughs> there is no like introduction there is no like, hi, this is my name. God told me to do this. I, 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 don't, I hate to impose upon you. There's no like, hello. There's none of that, right? Anybody get that? <laughs> Holla. So anyhow, there's nothing, right? It's just Elijah, and everybody knows he's the man, a prophet of God, just pulls into town, doesn't even address the woman by her name. We don't even know her name. Doesn't even give her the dignity of that. And just says, hey, uh, won't you give me some water? So she goes to do it. And then, oh, by the way, uh, I like some bread, too, with that. Can you, can you throw a couple of biscuits in there, right? Yeah, I, I just need a little something, something. And 
That's when she talks to him. Look at what she says. As surely as the Lord your God lives. This woman is hacked. I mean, she is ticked. This is three circles and a snap. I'm just telling you, it's not her God, it's his God. Her God is dead. She, she is destitute. She is forgotten by God. She wants nothing to do with God. She is out here on her lonesome. And so she goes just, she just goes full postal on him. I don't have any bread. All I have is a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil and a jug. And by the way, I'm going to gather a few sticks and take them home so I can make a meal for myself and my son. That's right. I'm a single mom. that You're asking this of me so that we may eat it and die. Hello to you. Do you you hear that? See, we read this like, well, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful. No, she is screaming this. She is going off on him. Who in the sand hill do you think you are coming into here and asking me for this? Do you know how destitute I am? Do you know how broken I am? Do you know how hurt I am? And Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me. From what you have and then bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Notice, he doesn't make him his God. He makes him their God. His and hers. A jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain to the land. Now did God tell him that earlier in the passage? No. He's operating what we call a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. It's a gifting of the Holy Spirit in that moment. So he's showing compassion upon her in her situation, not just to tell her what to do, but to explain it and to give her. We'll, we'll talk more about this in a minute. I'm going to start preaching my message. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken by Elijah. And here's what I want you to see. Nothing changes in her world except her perspective. And her perspective from the lack of gratitude to gratitude changes everything. Her perspective changes everything. I, I want you to see this because I, I, I want you to understand, even from where she's at in verse 12 where she's going to go home and make a cake for herself and her, her and her son, they're going to eat it and they're going to die, to all of a sudden verse 16 where God supplies for her need. She never has any more oil. She never has any more flour. Every day she gets up, she's still got a little flour and a little oil, but it's enough to make it through the day. But it doesn't just happen for day one or day three or day five or day 15. It happens every day, every week, every month until the recession, until the the, the famine, until the rains come. Until the economic downturn is over, God provides for her. But he doesn't provide by having the olive oil company pull up a whole caseload of olive oil for her every week. He doesn't provide by sending sacks and bags of 40-pound bags of flour to her house. He doesn't provide in that way. He provides every single day, which means nothing really changes in her reality, but yet everything changes. And it happens because of perspective. I want you to see the change in her perspective. I want to look at it in verse 12 again. Look at the natural perspective. The natural perspective that she approaches this with. We see, first of all, she is hopeless. She's completely hopeless. I mean, she is, she's at a place where she's done everything she knows to do. 
And now she's just going to go home, take a little bit, bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She's going to make for herself a cake, and her and her son are going to eat it, and they're going to die. She's hopeless. Maybe you're there today. Maybe it's this time of the year that's not the most wonderful time of the year for you because, quite frankly, things have happened that aren't great. Money's tight, and so Christmas is coming, which just compounds the pressure. Maybe this is a time and a season for family, but there's something that's happened in your home, in your marriage, maybe with your parents. Maybe it's a loved one that's passed away. And really what you would like to do is fast forward from last week to about the middle of January to get through this most, most wonderful time of the year. More people are depressed during this season in this country than any other time of the year. Because what happens is, is that we're taught to be reflective and we're taught to be thankful, and we should be. But what we do is we lose perspective, just like this woman. And what happens is we become hopeless. And I'm telling you, hopeless people... It's a dangerous place to be when you have no hope. I mean, hope is it's more than losing faith. I lose faith in something. I still have hope that there's something else out there. I become hopeless. I'm done. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm suicidal. I, I'm, I'm just, that's where she is. I want you to notice how helpless she looks at herself. Even the resources that she has, she speaks very, very um, lightly of them. She doesn't value even what she has. I only have a little oil and a little flour, and I'm going to go home and make a meal, and we're going to eat it and die. We do this. I only have this condo that I'm living in. It's not like I live in a... I only have this, this house, and it's not large. I only have this car, and it's old, and it gives me problems. I, I only have this job, and I hate it. I only have this jerk of a boss. I only have... But we stop, we, 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 we don't stop to think, what do I have? I have transportation to get me from here to there. Because if I don't, I'm walking or riding a bike. It's kind of cold out there. Nobody in this room is naked. I know Southerners say that in a really funny way, naked. But nobody is, thank God. You have clothes. But I've been to parts of the world where people can't really barely clothe themselves, much less clothe their kids. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. I'm trying to give you perspective to understand that's how this woman is viewing it. Even the little things that she has, she despises them. She overlooks them. And sometimes that's what happens in our own life. Maybe you're a teenager and you're trying to keep up with everybody else and with status. And, and, and maybe your mom or dad doesn't have what somebody else in your class has. And so you feel like you're less than and you're, you're not as... Hopeless, helpless, and she's thankless. Even what she has, she has no gratuity over it. She's not at least saying, hey, at least today I have something to eat. At least today I have a place to go. At least today I'm going to live for today. Tomorrow I might die, but today I have what I need. And I'm not trying to beat up. I, I understand. It, it's, it's a very disparaging place to be. It's, 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 it's a very uh, 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 low and very dark. And, and a very, but, but I want you to understand, God produces in her life. God does a miracle in her life, but he never changes what she has. He changes her perspective. 
And as we walk through this, I just want to throw a couple of comments out. I know they're a little strong, but it's things for you to be reflective of. What are you thankless or hopeless or helpless about in your own life today? Is it your car? Is it your living, your house? Is it your clothing? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your parents? What inadequacy do you curse? What, what insufficiency do you despise? What thing in you that you may have no control over, but you may have full control over, do you just kind of put down when actually it's really truly, if you look at it in the whole broad perspective thing, it's a blessing? And what you're dealing with could be completely legitimate. But the truth is that your problem is not really your problem. Or your problem is not really the problem. The problem and the situation, it's your attitude. It, it's, it's your perspective. It's your lack of gratuity that keeps you from victory. I want to keep saying this. This woman's situation in the natural never changes. What happens to her natural situation is supernatural. That changes. But the fact that she only has a little oil and a little flour never changes the entire time. What is miraculous is that God provides miraculous through the little oil and through the little flour. Here's what happens. Your car may not change. Your address may not change. Your employment may not change. Your marital status may not change. But God will see you through. And that beater of a car and that poor house that you're living in and that sorry situation for a job and, 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 and that damaged relationship, God will still, he still has the ability to make himself known. The question is, are you willing to humble yourself and are you willing to have an attitude of gratitude and be thankful for the thing that you do have and allow God to work through that? Because until you receive the word of the Lord, as this widow from Zarephath does, from Elijah, you will not change your situation. Some of you are looking at me like, man, that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to live. And I would say to you, amen. If I could get down on the front row, I would amen me on that statement right there. Because I get it. Do you think I like preaching a message like this? Because here's what happens with preachers. When you preach a message like this, you've got to live it. And usually it's the week before, most of the time it's the week after that something happens. That you just, and all of a sudden, I, you know, all, all of a sudden I'll be in a situation. And these words of mine will boomerang back around to me that I've so powerfully spoken to you. Like, <laughs> hey, are you going to live this? And that's where you're like, oh. It's like, I mean, it's just completely a drainer. But this is truth. Because every one of us, at some point in our life, we, if we're not careful, we despise or we overlook or we undervalue and we overestimate what's happening today. And we, and we try to look to tomorrow either out of fear or out of hope instead of just realizing that God wants to work in your today. So how do you develop that attitude of gratitude? How do you put the supernatural perspective, the super under your natural perspective, I just want to walk through this passage, it tells us. Really quickly. First of all, take hope. Take hope. The first thing that Elijah, you got to think of him. This is the voice of God, right? The first thing that the voice of God says is, do not be afraid. Because hope is the opposite of fear. Hope and fear cannot, cannot coexist. I'm, I'm going to be traveling in a few days, 
and I'm going to be going to Asia for like seven days, and I'm in three different countries. So I'm in Thailand, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and, and it's missions and projects, and I'm speaking and doing several different things. And so my dad calls me, and my dad says, hey, hey, boy, there's this worldwide alert, travel alert. I think you need to be aware of this. Thanks, Dad. Um, you, still, you still think you need to go on that trip? Dad, I'm going to be fine. It's, it's worldwide travel alert. I just saw it on the news, Dad. Well, where are they saying it's in the world? He's just, it's worldwide. 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 So I said, you, you realize worldwide means worldwide. That's what I said, son. Worldwide. World, worldwide alert. World, worldwide. Sure you need to go to Asia? Well, Dad, I'm not really looking forward to 27 hours in an airplane to get there. No. And by the time I get there and my clock switches over to their time, I'll have to turn around and come back. And, uh, and I've got stuff on both sides of that that I have to be at. And so, no, but, but this is, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. And I'm traveling with some other pastors, and we've been invited to come into some of these areas, and I'm excited to see what God's doing and be a part of it and all of that. And, and, uh, but, but son, it's a worldwide travel alert. And I said, Dad, Dad, worldwide means if I were to travel, my dad lives in northeast Arkansas, just south of Memphis. If I were to travel to Memphis, I need to be aware because Memphis is somewhere in the world. Worldwide traveler. Hey, don't be smart, Elliot. Don't be smart. I said, I'm just telling you. That's what that means. So even going to Harrisburg that has two stoplights. Seriously, they just got a McDonald's as part of the gas station. You would think like Neiman Marcus came to town. So <laughs> and so he goes, Well, I said, just pray for me, I'll be fine. What happens in the world that we live in is there's this fear. There, and, and I get it. It's, it there, it's, 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 it's a natural fleshly response. But the Bible says that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And I'm telling you, being saved and have a relationship with Jesus Christ is not about the sweet by and by. It's about the here and now, too. And what I do today makes a difference. And how I respond to today makes a difference. And so in my own life, I have to stop sometimes. And I have to just go, you know what? I am not going to have a mindset of fear. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do all I can do. I'm going to pray because it depends upon him. But I'm going to take hope because that's what the word of the Lord says. That's the reason why it's so important to read scripture and to, and to download that into your life. That's what she does. She takes the word of the Lord and she downloads that. And for some of you today, it may be a message like this that just brings it home. Take hope. Look at this passage. God does not change according to Malachi chapter 3. And God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And what he does for one, he'll do for another. He's not a respecter of persons. So take hope. Even in the middle of a dire situation, even in the middle of a life and death situation, even in the middle of a famine, in a recession, when you're all alone and it's just you and you're a single mom trying to struggle, God can still show up. But you have to take hope. If she doesn't do what the prophet says, she eats the cake and she dies. Because that's your other alternative. What are you going to do? There's a worldwide alert. What are you going to do? Just go crawl under a rock somewhere? Well, what are you going to do? Not send your kids to school? What are you going to do? Just retreat and surrender and let the enemy win? Listen, the enemy is not terrorism. The enemy is not ISIS. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against rulers of, but, we wrestle, but we wrestle against rulers of darkness and, and, and principalities in high places and everything that exalts itself for the name of the power and the glory of God. Our fight, our war, is not with one another or even with another nation. It is a spiritual battle that's taking place. And it's, it's a war for our souls. It's this 
flesh. It's this deal. And so it tries to shrink you like a pair of Levi 501s. And the only thing that pushes against that is faith. Take hope. We see the second thing that she does is she acts in obedience. That's what you have to do, to act in obedience. God's word says this, I'm going to do it. I want you to notice here, it's very interesting because it's counterintuitive. He tells her, before you go and cook for yourself and do this last meal, I want you to cook for me. Again, it sounds a little bit, we read it and we read it kind of sanitized, but it would be like me, the senior pastor of the church, looking at a single mom in the church who comes to the office for counsel and says, look, I have no food. I've got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and we're literally going to, I don't know what else to do. I have no job, no whatever. There's no family. There's no anything, and I'm going to do this. I got $10, and we're going to go and get a two-for-one special over here at, at, at McDonald's, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because that's all the money I have. And for me to say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that $10. I want you to give it. I want you to, matter of fact, I want you to go to McDonald's, and I want you to buy me that meal first. So you spend 10 bucks on me, and I want a Big Mac filet of fish, quarter pounder French fries, and Coke pig steak, Sunday and apple pie, and a small Diet Coke, please. And I want you to spend 10 bucks on me and bring it back here to the church office, and then God will supply for you. If I said that, do you know how many people would be enraged? That's what he's doing. Why does he do that? Because this is the way the kingdom works. The kingdom works that you serve God first, that you operate with faith, that when you act in obedience, when you do what you have the ability to do, then God will do what only he has the ability to do. Genesis chapter 8, for as long as the earth shall endure, there will be seed, time, and harvest. Farmers do this all the time. They take grain and they put it in the ground and they sow it as seed, believing that it will take, that it will take hold, that it will actually have to die first, germinate, and then it will sprout forth a crop, that they will have more than what they had before. That's how this world works. That's how God designed things to work. This reciprocity that takes place. I mean, it's, it's, it's the way uh, precipitation works, right? I mean, it, it's constantly moving back and forth. This is how God's designed this to be a self-sustaining ecosystem. Yet when it comes to matters of spirituality, we just check it out. Well, all truth is God's truth. One plus one equals two every single day of the week in any chapter in the Bible. It doesn't state it that way, but it works that way because it's God's truth. Here's my point. Is that in our world, I'm going to take care of me first, and then I'm going to die. I'm going to do this for me, then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for me. So what happens is when everything's falling apart in our world, what do we do? We put God last, we put everybody else last, and we put ourselves first. And what the Bible says to do is, no, act in obedience. What has God told you to do? What has his word instructed you to do? Do what he's told you to do, and then God will show up. It's counterintuitive. It's I give first, then I receive second. This is how the kingdom works. The Bible says if you want to have friends, you must first show yourself friendly. If you want to, to receive them, you must first give. You want to be served, then you must first serve others. This is how it works. It's counterintuitive. Our world, our, our mindset is me, 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 me. The way the Bible works is the way, the, the way God works is no. Put others first, then, then, then you'll be taken care of. And what does she do? And then the, the next thing that happens is you have to have faith. So you, you, you take hope, act in obedience, but verse 14, this is for the word of the Lord says. It's this faith ingredient. 
It's this, I'm going to trust. I'm going to listen to the word of God. I'm going to act upon the word of God. And now I'm going to believe that God's going to do what his word says he's going to do. I leaned upon God's word so heavily that if it were to move, I would fall. This is not something I do on Sunday mornings. It's not something I do so that I can have my children, you know, um, dedicated. Family can be baptized in water. And I have a place to, to see my kids get married. And then this is a place that's going to bury me. And I hope you preacher are going to do my funeral. And that's the way it is. And that's what I'm doing this for. And hopefully I get some brownie points between here and there until I get to heaven. No, no, no. This is about me living out what God's word says Monday through Friday. This is about me having faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this is what happens. This is what activates all of this in, in her life. Let me say this this way. This past week when we were having Thanksgiving, Timmy's mom and dad were in town. Her brother and his family were in town. And so we were having family. And so I, I've got staff that are from all over uh, here at the church. And so anybody that was in town without family or whatever, we invited them to come over and have lunch with us. And because I know what that's like to be here and, and you know, and, and, and just and not have family in town. And so Nando came over and uh, with a totally different hairdo than he had today. And uh, just saying, and uh, always a surprise and a delight. And uh, um, Pastor Allen and Danae and their two daughters came over. And uh, Alan is new, and Alan just and Danae, they, they just moved here from Columbus, Georgia. And so they were all over. And Addie, their oldest, she's four. And uh, so we're getting ready to eat. Tammy says it's time to eat, and we're all hungry, and we're all ready to tear into that cornbread dressing. And so anyhow, um, I, I just said, okay, we got to pray. I said, does anybody want to pray? And she's like, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. And if you've, ever, if you've met Addie, she's a very articulate four-year-old. Very articulate. She reminds me a lot of Ava, our, our youngest, and at that age. And, uh, and so uh, I said, okay, great. And so Danae says to her mom says to her, Danae says, hey, Addie, this is a big deal. Like, this is a big, and she's like, okay, like, I'm up for the challenge. No big deal. Whatever. I said, okay, let's pray. Addie's going to pray for us. And we all bow our heads and we all close our eyes in the living room before we go into the dining room. And she says, God, thank you. For my family, thank you for everybody. Thank you that we have food to eat. Thank you for this day. Amen. And I told Tammy later, I said it was all I could do to hold it together. Because the Bible says that unless you approach the kingdom of God like a child, unless you have childlike faith, you'll never see the kingdom. What does that mean? There's no pretense in what she says. There's no flowery words in what she says. But you can tell, I can always tell when someone has prayed very little in public or out loud and someone that prays a lot. People that pray very little in public, they have real flowery words. They try to make things up. They try to impress. Oh, Father God, in the heavenness of the universe, this we thinkest thouest. They try to do Shakespeare, right? King James. Someone that knows God and has a relationship with God, God, it's me again. The simplicity, the boldness, the, the, the confidence that that little four-year-old girl had. She didn't have an interpretation. 
She had a relationship. And I know you think that's crazy. I'm just telling you. That's when Jesus said, suffer not these little to the children. Let, bring them unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. For unless you become like one of these, Jesus said, you will never see heaven. Why? Because there's this relational connection. There is this faith that she believes that when she spoke that God was hearing. And she, didn't, she didn't, wasn't taking into account that there are six billion plus people in the world and everything that's going on. It was in that moment she had the ear of God. And I'm telling you, she did. What's that? It's called faith. It's not something that's some big abstract deal. It's simply trusting and believing. And that's what happens with the widow of Zarephath. And then we see in verse 15 and 16 that she experiences the miracle. She experiences the miracle. See, that's what happens. When we take hope in God, when we act in obedience according to God's word, when we have faith that God's going to do what he says he's going to do, then God shows up and does what only he can do. She did, verse 15, verse 16, God did. What changes? Her perspective. Well, I think there's a little bit more, Aaron, that changes. Because, I mean, I think, you know, the word of God came and she did. And da, da, da. No, 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 no. Here's what I'm saying to you. You hold in your hand, digitally or, or in paper, you hold the Bible, which is God's promise and principles to you. He's responsible to keep that book in action in your life. So what do I mean? I mean simply this. That's his word. So the question is, are you going to take hope? Take hope in that word. Are you going to act in obedience? He's already told you what to do. Simply do that. How do you do that? By having faith, by trusting in him and choosing. This is what you're going to do. So when you take hold of his word, when you act in obedience according to his word, when you operate in faith in his word, I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm just talking about taking hope, acting in obedience, and having faith. Then what happens is the God of that Bible, the God of the Word, the God of this story, the God of this account will show up in your life. But that only happens when you quit despising the small things, the little bit of oil, the little bit of flour, and you begin to, with gratuity, say, God, thank you for only the little oil and the little flour. Because it's that little oil and that little flour, when God's hand is in it, that becomes much that sustains you. When God's hand's in it, that job that feels like a dead end, all of a sudden God begins to produce through it. That relationship that seems dead, all of a sudden God brings back to life. That, that situation that seems like it's that closed door, God begins to open another situation. Take hope. God's not forgotten you. God's not left you. God's not dead. You don't need to go out and just collect a few sticks and, 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 and build a fire and take a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and put it together and eat and die. No, God's got much greater things for you. But you have to open your eyes to see. You've got to open your ears to hear. You've got to open your heart to receive. And it's then that you experience the miracle. It's then that you see God's miracle working plan happen in your life. And why would God take us through this? Because he wants to teach each and every one of us that he's in control. He wants us to trust him. In a way that we don't fret and we don't worry, but we trust that he will provide for us every single day, day by day by day. We don't like process. We want to be zapped. I love the story of Noah. And the waters receded day by day, inch by inch, the Bible says. That's how God works. Because he's trying to build a relationship and a trust with you. 
I am not trying to get you to build a relationship or a trust in me at all. You put your trust and your hope in Aaron, you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to fail you. It's going to be just a disaster. All I'm trying to do is get you to help bridge that gap between you and God and to trust him. And even if you feel like someone who just is going to eat the little bit that you have and die, take hold. God knows right where you are. And he will supply for your needs according to his riches and glory if you will but trust him.